Hello and welcome to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Thanks for joining us for this in-depth study of God's Word, the Bible. This lesson was previously recorded by Michelle in front of a live audience. As we began to study the book of Philippians, we discovered Paul in a Roman prison awaiting trial, writing to his friends in Philippi to thank them for their kind support and for the gifts that they'd sent with Epaphroditus. He thanked God for them and went on to encourage them, saying that he believed he would soon be free. He knew that his release would not necessarily mean that the charges against him would be dropped and that he might actually be executed for his stand for the gospel, and yet Paul saw either outcome as being a blessing for his benefit in the end, because either he would soon be released to be able to return to his earthly ministry, or being executed, he would be standing in the presence of Christ himself. Though Paul longed to be with the Lord and that to die for him would be great gain, he knew that it was more necessary for them that he remain in his body, and because of that he really expected that he would live. He assured them that God had used his imprisonment to advance the gospel, as many of the soldiers assigned to watch him had come to faith in Christ, and we also learn about that in the book of uh, Romans when Paul writes that letter also. Irrespective of the final outcome, he wanted those in Philippi to stand firm for Christ because faithfulness in the midst of hardship, uncertainty and suffering is a powerful tool in God's hand. For example, they knew that once God had used Paul's own faithfulness in the midst of suffering to speak to the Philippian jailer, but even before Paul had become a follower of Christ, He himself had witnessed the martyrdom of Stephen, who loved God and who stood firm in his faith unto death. Paul knew from his own experience that when we as believers faithfully endure trials of many kinds, God is eventually able to use our perseverance and our love to speak to the hearts of those around us, including those who may be our chief persecutors. In his current difficulty, Paul was following Christ's example and he urged them to do the same, saying in Philippians 2 verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Paul's immediate desire was that their unity with Christ should spill over into their relationships with others within the church. Because they shared in Christ's love and because they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and because they had the capacity for tenderness and compassion, he appealed to them to be united because as Jesus had warned in Luke chapter 11 verse 17, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. Paul was concerned that they never act out of selfish ambition or empty pride because he knew how those things could undermine unity. 
He had seen how the ambition of false teachers who continually vied with one another to gain more followers had brought disunity to other churches, and he was concerned that his friends in Philippi not fall into that same trap. So Paul made a personal appeal to them to make his joy complete by focusing on their unity and by serving one another with all humility, not looking to their own interests, but rather to the interests of their Christian brothers and sisters around them. It is really important, though, that we take a moment to talk about what humility really is. Some people believe that a humble person is one who continually belittles themselves, But in fact, biblical humility is not so much about thinking less of yourself as it is about not thinking of yourself at all. For example, consider Christ's humility at the Last Supper when he washed the disciples' feet. John recounts the event of that night in John chapter 13, and it's there that we learn Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. In those days, people lay down on their sides to dine, propped up on their left elbow so that they could eat with their right hand. Of course, having dirty feet at the table would make it an unpleasant experience, and so the lowliest servant or slave of the household was given the task of washing the guests' feet as they arrived. Unfortunately, that night there had been nobody to serve in that way. Jesus is the king of glory, and yet he bent down to wash each of his disciples from the dirt of their journey. And John goes on to say that through this very purposeful act of service, Christ expressed his love for them. But notice what we're told in the text. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. He knew that he had been given all authority. He also knew where he had come from and where he was going. And so, knowing his privileged position, Jesus willingly served others with no thought for himself. And in the same way, when we truly understand who we are in Christ, it's easier to serve others without worrying about what's in it for us. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, Paul urged them to follow Christ's example, and he does so through a poem which is really the centerpiece of the whole letter. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Paul declares that Jesus is God himself. He is God at the very core of his nature, but Christ was willing to lay down his divine attributes in order to make himself like us. Jesus is God with us, as we're told in Isaiah. Instead of focusing on himself and what was in it for his own advantage, 
Jesus was willing to become like us, taking on the very nature of a servant. He lived as we do, with the same struggles that we have, even to the point of death. But not only was Christ willing to die, he was willing to endure the most shameful, dishonorable death on a cross in order to free us from our sin and our bondage to Satan. Jesus showed us how to obey our Heavenly Father and how to completely surrender to God's will. And he modeled what it is like to truly serve others with no thought for self. And if Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, was willing to set aside all his privilege and glory for the sake of our salvation, if he loved us enough to sacrifice himself for our gain, how can we as his people do anything less? Paul calls us to have the same mindset as Christ. He calls us to meet others where they are and to be obedient to the will of God irrespective of the personal cost, knowing that God will honour us in the end. And he goes on to remind them of Christ Jesus as he says in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The name of Christ is above all others. He is the final judge, and before Jesus every knee will bow, not only the angels of heaven, not only the men of earth, but even the things under the earth, by which Paul really means the demons of hell, all have to bow to Christ eventually, for a day is coming when every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord and that he is ruler of all to the glory of God the Father. And that gives us great encouragement and great hope because we know that what we suffer now for a little while will not last. There is a better day coming. As believers in Jesus, we have a job to do while we wait for that day when we all kneel before Christ's presence. We are called to follow Christ's example of humility and service with no thought for our own glory or exaltation. When Paul had said that we were to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, he really meant that we are not to be motivated by ideas of self-promotion or empty pride. We are to be like Jesus, who wanted to see God's will accomplished with no thought for the personal cost. Paul continues to encourage his friends to press on, knowing that God is at work through them, saying in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He asks that they pay attention to what he says, just as if he were with them in Philippi. He wants them to continue to work out their salvation, and the Greek word he uses for work out there always has in it the idea of bringing something to completion. Salvation is from God, and the work that he has begun in us, he will continue until we stand in his presence. But there's also a sense that we must not give up on him. 
we need to continue to choose to cooperate with the work that God is doing in our lives. Think of this really as Paul saying to them and to us, don't quit, don't give up halfway, go on until the work of salvation is fully completed in you. The Christian life is a life of progress, of continued obedience in the same direction, always toward God. And this ongoing journey is accomplished with fear and trembling. Now, when Paul says that, he doesn't mean that we're to walk in terror of God, expecting his wrath to fall upon us at any moment. Rather, this type of fear and trembling means that we have a reverence and a respect for God and that we do not undervalue his awesome power or his great mercy that's been shown to us. With regard to our service of God, Paul also says that we are to do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. Paul encourages them and us to continue to follow the Lord in obedience without grumbling or complaining, without sulking and arguing when things don't go the way that we'd hoped. The more we're willing to surrender to the Lord, the more we'll be transformed into becoming the people God wants us to be. When Paul quotes that phrase, describing those who choose not to belong to the Lord as a warped and crooked generation, he's actually quoting from Deuteronomy 32, verse 5 to 6, where the Lord speaks of those who reject God's word and who have no desire to know him or his power. Paul wanted to be able to finally stand before God, knowing that his efforts for the Philippians had not been in vain, and so he encouraged them and us that we need to hold to God's word and to cooperate with the work God wants to do in our lives. And as we do that, we'll shine the light of Christ in the midst of the darkness that surrounds us. Paul then went on to speak of the possibility of his death, and he speaks of his life as if it were a drink offering being poured out to the Lord. Verse 17, But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Now, there were drink offerings in Jewish worship rituals where fluid, which of course was very precious in a dry land, would be poured out on the dusty earth in sacrifice to the Lord. It would be an act of faith in God's provision as well as being a symbol of holding nothing back from the Lord. Frequently, drink offerings were combined with other offerings that were burnt on the altar, and that really seems to be what Paul is referencing here. For though his life may be poured out as an accompanying offering to their faithful service of Christ, he was perfectly willing to die. In fact, he says he would be glad of that honor, and he hoped that they would feel the same joy that he would. If you think about it, Paul was really being a great example of selfless service himself. 
The apostle's mind is still focused on the welfare of others as he begins to speak of his faithful companions, Timothy and Epaphroditus, saying in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare, for everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. Paul first mentions his companion Timothy, whom he hoped to send to visit them. Paul had met Timothy on his second missionary journey, and they became very close, rather like a father and his son. Timothy knew the believers in Philippi because he'd been with Paul and Silas when the church was first established there. And Paul knew that, unlike any other, Timothy had a genuine concern for the welfare of the believers in that city. Timothy was one of Paul's closest friends and was very useful to him while the apostle was incarcerated, because when Paul could not go to a church himself, he often sent Timothy as his representative. Timothy, for his part, was willing to go anywhere for the work of the Lord, and in his hands, a message was as safe as if Paul delivered it himself. Though others jostled for their own self-advancement, Timothy's one desire was to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. He was not consumed with selfish ambition and was quite content to have a lesser role as Paul's messenger as long as he was still able to serve Christ's purposes. Though Paul hoped to come himself to Philippi and also wanted to send Timothy to them, That was not possible now for some reason. Instead, he chose Epaphroditus to carry this letter back to the Philippian church. And he says in verse 25, But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety." So then, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of the gospel. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. The church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to Paul, not only with their gifts of provision, but for him to spend some time helping Paul while he was in prison. We know that during this time in Rome, Epaphroditus fell seriously ill and in fact it almost cost him his life, though happily God healed him. His friends in Philippi, however, had heard about his illness and they were very worried for Epaphroditus. And so to put their minds at rest, Paul sent him back to them with this letter. 
Notice here, though, Paul has significant troubles of his own. He's possibly facing his own death, and yet he is still concerned for others. It seems that Paul may have been worried that some might criticize Epaphroditus for coming home at what was such a difficult time for Paul. And so Paul is very careful to show his support for him, saying that he considered him, and I quote, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier in the service of the Lord. Paul puts this man on the same level as himself, purposefully making it easy for him to go home. He wanted them to understand that Epaphroditus had risked his life for the sake of the gospel, for even apart from his illness, it was a huge risk to be so openly associated with Paul, who was awaiting trial on a capital charge. It would have been very easy for the officials to decide that Epaphroditus was also worthy of death because he was Paul's companion. Paul wanted the church at Philippi to be sure to welcome their friend home with great joy, and he wanted them to show him honour because of the work he'd done for the Lord. Now, I think that it's very important for us to realize that although people like Paul are vital to the spread of the gospel, they could not do their work without people like Timothy and Epaphroditus, those who were selflessly willing to take on a lesser role to see God's purposes fulfilled and his kingdom extended. There are lots of people over the years who have served in this way, selflessly helping others to do the work that God has called them to do. Now, one such person was an American woman by the name of Lucy Peabody, whom few remember now. She lived from 1861 to 1949, and in 1881, she was married to a man by the name of Norman Waterbury. The two of them went to India to serve on the mission field with a Baptist group. Seven years later, when Lucy had two small children, her husband died, causing her to have to return to the United States. Despite her loss, as a young mother of two, Lucy still earnestly desired to serve the Lord in some way, and she was willing to do anything, she said, except speak in front of large crowds. And so, the organization she was with decided that she should begin fundraising for missionaries. With God's help, Lucy did actually end up speaking to large groups of people as she launched a campaign urging other women to give two cents a week to missions. Over the course of 50 years, those women raised approximately $41 million to spread the gospel. That figure back then would have been like $500 million in today's money, which just goes to show how powerful it is when the church works together. Lucy married again, this time to a man by the name of Henry Peabody, who was 20 years older than her. But Henry died just two years later. Still, Lucy continued to faithfully serve God despite her circumstances, and she went on to form a mission agency that now has a thousand missionaries in 70 countries around the world. Like these men in the book of Philippians, Lucy stood firm for Christ irrespective of her own hardships, 
and as she was willing to serve others, so the gospel would go forth across the world. With no thought of self-advancement, she was happy to serve missionaries for the sake of Jesus Christ. And though she may not be well known to people today, she is well known to God, for many came to faith through her efforts in order to send others. Each of us may not be a Paul, but we can all be a Timothy or an Epaphroditus, someone who will come alongside others to help for the sake of the gospel. Our work may not be the same as theirs, but it is valuable to God nonetheless, because as we serve each other, the world will see the love and power that is only available in Christ alone. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your word and we pray that you would help us to do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but rather that we would be humble and value others above ourselves. Lord, we ask that you would give us the same mindset as Jesus Christ, that great servant of all, and that we do everything without arguing or complaining so that we would really become blameless and pure as we hold out that light of Christ in the darkness around us. Lord, we ask that you would help us to show genuine concern for others and not think so quickly of ourselves. Lord, use us in whatever circumstances we currently find ourselves to glorify your name and bring others to a knowledge of Christ. It is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to In the Word with Michelle Telfer. Join us next week as we continue our study from God's Word, the Bible. Michelle's messages are also available on all major podcast platforms and on her website at intheword.com.